You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 91 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, and I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you doing? Uh, fine. We're Brandonless today, correct? But uh, that's okay. We'll try to soldier on without the Honorable Mr. Jaggers, but I'm fine. So, Yeah, it's a Brandon Jaggers free podcast, and we know those are popular with our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Alan, uh, <laughs> Uh, breaking news today uh, on the Maury Povich show. Uh, That's still on. A, uh, yeah, they, they did their uh, famous paternity tests today. All of the guests tested positive for their uh, for for being a uh, a father. Really? Uh, I don't I don't think I said that right. I don't think you can test positive for being a father or not. But I just said it. But uh, yeah, all the guests are fathers. Um, so uh, any any uh, any uh, thoughts on that? Number one, I I think Mari Povich was on in the daytime when I was in high school, and I've been it's been and when I went to high school, it was a one room red schoolhouse we took a, a covered wagon to. So I've got to be honest, I'm a little floored by the fact that number one, he's still alive, and number two, that that show's still on air and that people actually watch it. Outside of yourself, no offense, um, but that's a pretty good uh, batting average, right? That's a 1,000 percent slugging yeah. percentage. 1,000 percent. One thousand percent. Yeah. Those Test. guys would be good archers. I mean, they've got tremendous aim, it appears, right? Who was uh, who was Maury Povich married to? I don't think still married to her. Connie Chung. That's correct. That's correct. Right. And, and Connie Chung is who? Connie Chung is Wang Chung's mm. sister. <laughs> no, she used to be a CBS News anchor, I think. Right. Yeah, you're right. Now, who was Wang Chung? Wang Chung? Oh my God! Was uh, that a Wang? I know there's a song. Was it everybody Wang Chung tonight? Yeah, everybody so everybody had fun tonight. Wang Chung was a band in the '80s, a duo. I don't remember the guy's name, but they had a couple other hits prior to uh, to uh, their monster hit. Uh, everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. The second single off that album called "Let's Go" is actually a better song than that. And what? I don't know what happened to Wang Chung after that. But Wait, yeah, did uh, Wang Chung? All right, well, who wrote the song? Who? who the the one about Thailand uh, or Bangkok Bang- one night in Bangkok That's a, one night in Bangkok is a song from a musical by a guy named Murray Head the musical's name is Chess that's why the song sounds so bizarre uh, but that actually was a top five hit here in this country even though it's not quite a, I'm I'm kind of a walking encyclopedia with 80s music and some other eras and stuff but yeah that's Murray Head I was thinking that might be Wang Chung I'm I'm completely off base. Uh, Wang Chung also had Dance Hall Days, which uh, was the precursor uh, to Everybody Have Fun Tonight, which put them into the next stratosphere, which they never uh, was able to eclipse. One hit wonder. Eh, they had like three or four hits. Three hit wonder. Yeah, better than I've had. Better than I've had. Yeah, yeah. That's you know three more than I have as well. Uh, let's talk about some horse racing real quick. Uh, three Kentucky Derby preps. This weekend, including the Holy Bull at Gulfstream and the Withers at Aqueduct. And 
the Bob Lewis at Santa Anita. Uh, first, your thoughts on the Holy Bull that was won by White Abario. Uh, I have a few different thoughts about this. I don't usually go too deep into these early preps or whatever. They're, they're good for discussion. But I know how people are going to think. The immediate what, – what happens often, and this is a, a bit of a, a warning shot, I guess I'll fire. Everybody wants to make excuses. Handicappers and horse players and, and media, they're all pretty predictable often. And that's why it's not a bad game to play sometimes. You should always guess how people are going to go, and then you go all uh, contrary to them. Immediately after the race, everybody else wants to make excuses for the runners-up and then automatically knock the winner. Now, I know Safi Joseph has wide a barrio, and he's not one to win outside California. But immediately uh, outside the race, people are making excuses, and rightfully so for simplification the runner-up, and the third-place horse, Mo Donegal. Uh, and when that happens, everybody just always overlooks the winners if the winner gets blamed for not for having a good trip, White Abario. Uh, so don't fall asleep on White Abario is what I'm getting at because everyone's going to try to make excuses for the runners-up. It happens all the time. White Abario should not be penalized for the fact that he was able to make his own trip, that he's able to get in the spot he needed to get and win going away. As you know, and Tell me if I'm wrong. More excuses will be given to simplification because of his break. He ran a very a big race. Don't get me wrong. And Moldonagal, because Moldonagal looked good closing late down the stretch in that short stretch, like the horse going to need more ground, right? So they'll, they'll, they run that race. Uh, if they, all three of them go in the next race, I would not be surprised if White Arborio was the lowest odds of the three because the hype machine will be behind the second and third place horse, correct? Are you following along with me? I do. I, I was – very impressed with uh, White Abario, considering the news that uh, he had missed two works leading up to the race. That, that That's why I threw him out. I thought, well, this is just a prep for something yeah. else down the line. I, I know he fired a big uh, bullet uh, maybe the week or two weeks before the Holy Bull. But uh, generally speaking, uh, if he got sick, uh, he, you know, possibly he's treated him with antibiotics, and, and that usually knocks a horse out. Uh, but, uh, in white Abario's case, he, he, he ran uh, the best race of his life. So I think that horse has a bright future. I, uh, I like what they're going to do. They're just going to go straight to the Florida Derby with him. Not going to run yeah. in the fountain youth, run the Florida Derby. That's five weeks before the Kentucky Derby. And like you said, uh, Safi Joseph still has to prove that he can win outside of Florida. He didn't have a very good Saratoga meet last summer. No, not at all. And but that's so it. that's it. I mean, the, the other two horses I just mentioned, they may be better horses down the road. But you know what I'm saying, that you can you can set your watch to it. The moment Moldonagle finally got going in that last 16th, 18th mile, people saw the way he strode out, and they're automatically going to make the assumption this horse is going to love a mile and a quarter, even though closers don't win. Horses with his running style don't seem to win the derby anymore. Again, that's not a knock on Moldonagle. That's not a knock on Simplification, whose Simplification probably may be the best horse coming out of that race. But I'm just telling you the way, I'm just telling you why the handicappers automatically, horse players and media automatically do every single time. I think Mo Donegal's got a bright future. He 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 kind of strikes me as a horse that could win a Grade One at ten furlongs somewhere down Agreed. the road once he figures out how to run like a Vino Rosso type. You yeah. Know, if, he, if he shows further improvement. So and then the the second place horse, uh, Simplification. That was that was the horse that was supposed to be on the lead. Yeah. And, and you know blew the break and Castellano rode him smartly after that. He didn't try to rush him up or anything. He just he was hung out wide the whole way. So I, in, in Sheets parlance, that horse probably ran the best figure of all of them. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I got to think at some point, 
I think he may have reached his uh, limit. Mile 16 might be might be as far as he wants to go, but we'll see. And we uh, should mention, Tis the Bomb did not fire. Uh, uh, the horse I love, I love that horse, uh, did not fire, but they said he's took a lot of dirt, and they may be pointing him down the road for the, uh, I think the spiral, or whatever the hell they call it now at Turfway. So it'd be good to see him come back, maybe try to be a, That's a really good racehorse. He's got an incredible resume, a horse that I'm extremely fond of. Uh, that surface may not have been his liking, but I would not give up on him on dirt just yet. I would not give up him on Tapita. We know the horse is proven on turf, so I'd like I'm anxious to see Tiz the Bomb run again. And let's talk about the withers real quick. I, I nothing to get excited about yet. Is one by early voting a son of gun runner out of a Tisdale mare. That's uh, about as good as you can get. This horse is now two for two. Uh, went straight to the lead at six to five for Chad Brown in the Clarevich stable and uh you know he just ran him off their feet that was his second start going a mile and eighth this horse again has a bright future uh came back slow the race i think got a buyer of 78 nothing to nothing to write home about but like i said this horse has got a lot of improvement in him the question is can he improve enough to win a kentucky derby which is just less than three months away amazing amazing and in the last prep we want to talk about is the bob lewis stakes that was absolutely dominated by the bob baffert trained messier or is it messier we don't know yet is messier a word messier is a messier word would be a word yeah i think messier is a word but that's a messier is a hockey player right 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 so but uh yeah the messier went to the front and was challenged by two horses early and just just drew away one by 15 links and i think he earned a 103 buyer if there's a horse that you want to consider for the kentucky derby coming out this weekend i think this is the one the only problem is he's not eligible yet to run in the kentucky derby now uh, i suppose a lot can happen between now and then i i, I got into an argument on twitter about this last night i i thought owners could could transfer horses away to different trainers and then run in in derby preps to earn points uh, but I was told one way and then maybe some other people chimed in later and said that that's the truth that you can do that. So, I mean, if Messier is, is to be ch- transferred to Todd Pletcher or, or somebody like that, he, you would have to consider him a bona fide Kentucky Derby contender because he, he's so far, he's looked the best of a, an average crop. But at the same time, if he were to <clears throat> transfer to another trainer and the only way I give a rat's ass, if he does, if he goes to Michelle Lovell, I, I, I don't want this. I just do not have this this circus again this year. That's just me. I'm tired of the Derby being kind of a fraudulent affair. But that said, I'll ask this question because uh, I'm not 100% sure. For him to get to the Derby, he would have to be transferred to another trainer in time for them to run in a points race, correct, and earn points because he's not going to get retroactive points just because he uh, won a race under Bob Baffert and then he goes to say Todd Pletcher. He doesn't get those points retro. He would have to go out and win a race to be eligible, correct? That is correct. Another race. He, yeah. Now, the, what I'm not clear about is if he, if he's transferred, say, two weeks before the Kentucky Derby, and then he draws in on the also eligible list. Let's say 19 enter and and the 20th horse doesn't have any points. Can that horse draw in with a new trainer? I don't but, know. Well, I, I would ask why would that why would that horse get any preference over any other horses? Um, well. We have I'm zero just thinking, points. I'm just thinking, what if 20, if 20 horses enter 
19 of them have points. The 20, he'd be at the bottom of the list. Can he draw in? If he has another trainer. If he has another trainer. Isn't it kind of a stretch to think that none of the top 20 would not have points? I guess I what I'm saying is if he were to draw in, he has zero points either. It's almost like his resume is blank, right? So Correct. if he's sitting there with points, why would he get the preference over another horse with zero points, an unraced well, maiden or whatever? I'm just saying, and what if, what if, you know, there's not a full gate? Maybe it's 15. Right. 15 no. Can he get in at 16? You know what I'm saying? Point. I see your point. Well, we're going to have to research that because I'm not real clear on, on how that works. I hope the Churchill Downs legal team has been working over time to cover all the potential bases and stuff, right? But I guess what they pay those guys the big bucks for. But who the hell knows how this crap's going to play out? But well, it's going to have an, a definite uh, influence on the way I enjoy and or play the Kentucky Derby this year. So I hope that the proper decisions are made. Well, it's not enough that Baffert's got the top three-year-old. He probably has the top three-year-old filly now with uh, Adari Manor, Adar, Adair Manor for uh, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Peterson. That that filly just absolutely demolished uh, the field in the uh, – I think it was the Lost Virginis. I didn't even see the race, but uh, she won easy. Uh, so, you know, that uh, he, he may very well have the best uh, Kentucky Derby horse and best Kentucky Oaks filly as well. So, uh, but speaking of crap, as you say uh, – it's February 7th, and the stewards were supposed to meet here in Kentucky to determine if uh, Medina Spirit should be disqualified or not. Apparently, that meeting didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> lack of transparency uh, on their part. Uh, but I got a feel for – I think Barbara Borden is in on this meeting. I got a feel for her. She's had She's been thrown in the, two of the toughest situations in, in racing history in these parts. Uh, she had to decide on the, uh, the maximum security – uh, DQ in 2019. Thank goodness that happened. And uh, and then this situation here, I assume that she's going to be involved in the, whether or not the DQ Medina spirit. Uh, that is just an unbelievable situation she's been placed into. I'm sure that she didn't see this coming down the pipe. Yeah, we uh, everyone rips everyone. You know, we, we've talked how silly Twitter is lots of times, particularly horse racing. Twitter look pretty self-important at times. Uh, that have a tendency to rip on stewards constantly, rip on jockeys, rip on this, rip on that, while they continuously play the, the sport nonstop. Uh, but they also have, to have a tendency of thinking, like you just mentioned, Barbara Borden ha- has a very tough job. She's thrown in, she's been thrown to the wolves with this. So uh, I don't envy the decision that she has to make. Hopefully, she does make the right one, but you know, it's a well-informed one. But uh, why was the meeting not held today? Do we not know? I I have no idea. I don't. Uh, that's that's been. What's the word? Opaque. It's something you can't see through. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? You know what this reminds me of? Uh, the University of Louisville, their basketball program, how they've been waiting forever to have some sort of uh, um, rectif- some sort of solution to the, pro- the problems they've had with the NCAA tournament. And it's, it's just like that's been going on forever, right? A dark cloud's been hanging on forever. And they, they never get a chance to move forward. Uh, it seems like that should have been taken care of a long time ago. I've I quit paying attention a long time ago, quite frankly. This feels a lot like that, doesn't it? Yeah, that's been hanging over for five years. Yeah, I mean, most of these situations are adjudicated within months. This has been now what, nine months now since uh, yeah. the Derby, since Derby Day. That, that I mean, it. I know there's a reason for it. I just wish we knew what it was, so we yeah you know, we didn't have to criticize because it 
just the lack of transparency is maddening. While we're thinking about DQs, I was thinking about this the other day. Looking back, 2019, when maximum security was DQ'd for interference, do you think that was the right decision? Yes, I did at the time. I was adamant at the time it was the right decision. Uh, I think sometimes people will, again, people love to let their financial state influence their decision. And I mean, to me, I thought it was the right decision. Yes. And I, I, I think I'm pretty good. I don't brag on myself much in this game. I think I am pretty good at looking at things with a clear, unbiased, unjaundiced eye. I think that's something a lot of people have an issue with. I thought it was the right decision. What about was, you? I was biased. I actually had to pick forward in maximum security. It didn't, wasn't going to pay much, but it was going to get me out for the day. But uh, I thought it was – I think he clearly interfered with war of will. What, the funny thing about that was he came over directly in front of him, and it did not affect war of will at all. You know what I'm saying? The horse should have yeah. stumbled or clipped heels or something. But the horse it, – it seemingly he, – he, his rump came up right in war of will's chest. Yeah. And it had no effect on, on the running style. It, it was the oddest – it was odd to look at. Because that, but it did that, form a problem with Long Range Toddy, as I recall. Long Range Toddy uh, almost fell, as I recall. As, well, as a chain he, had to, he had to check out. John Court had to check him out. Uh, but I think, I mean, the, it, it was so – you just go back and watch the replay. I mean, Nine-nine times out of 100, that horse is going to check or stumble or fall or something. And, and maximum security just drifted out into his path. Looked like he made contact with him a little bit. And I don't think War Will ever broke stride. He might have changed leads, but he never did really break stride. It was just it's something odd to, to look at. But I, uh, I think they made the right call. I, I'm glad because I don't. I'm, I'm glad we don't have to go through this uh, Jason Service winning a Kentucky right. Derby BS and then you know having that asterisk next to his name for for eternity. Yeah, there was again going back to you know people getting hard on stewards and sometimes they deserve it. But we, as you just mentioned, uh, people use their own financial stake to influence their bias. These guys have to make their decisions with a cold, uh, unjaundiced eye, right? And a lot of the people who are making decisions on Twitter, you know, have a stake in it, right? So, you know, so their their opinions already is already uh, biased. It's already tainted, so to speak. So that was a tough call. They, I think they made the right call in, in that. And we're going back in time, but you did mention had they not made the right call. And they kept maximum security. All those people who are such staunch defenders would then have had to defend the Jason Service crap, right? So it was a blessing. It was a blessing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take Country House seven days a week as a winner. And in fairness, I think I did win some – I win a nice ticket on Country House. But, again, that takes full disclosure. Uh, But that said, that had no part of my decision-making. All right. Enough banter. Let's get to our guest tonight, uh, a guest that uh, has a bright future, and uh, let's hear from him right now. In a game that relies on potent bloodlines, our guest, Rich Heritage, certainly lives up to the hype. His father's considered one of the sports greats and trained some of the best horses to ever look through a bridle, mm-hmm. including the super horse Easy Goer to a win in the Belmont Stakes in 1989, and Orb, the winner of the 2013 Kentucky Derby. His uncle trained one of the best Horses we've seen in these parts in a long time. That's Wise Dan, a two-time Breeders' Cup winner. But the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Our guest launched his training career in early 2020, and it didn't take long for him to land on the map. As a filly, he developed Bees and Honey, 
landed him his first greatest stakes win in the Cumley Stakes at Aqueduct last November. With that first hurdle out of the way, he's on to bigger and brighter things. Let's meet our guest tonight, Reeve McGahee. How are you doing, Reeve? Good, guys. How are y'all doing? Excellent. Uh, first of all, where are you calling from tonight? Are you in uh, in Kentucky or Florida? I'm in Lexington. You're in Lexington tonight? Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, so you, you've got strings it. now. You've got uh, two strings, right, in Turfway and uh, Tampa Bay Downs this winter. Is that correct? Uh, Keeneland and Tampa. Keeneland and Tampa, right. Okay. So how did you decide the, the best way to divvy up your stable? Is Because is, Turfway is, is now known for cold weather, but the, the purses are a whole lot better than they used to be. But Tampa has the great weather and the smaller purses. What? How, how did you go about this, deciding who goes where? Uh, we kind of sent some, uh, a lot of the better ones to, to Florida. Um, some of them were horses that we maybe ran once or twice and were either trying to get a maiden broke or – get through the next condition at, at Tampa and, and then kind of freshen them up and th- thought that might be a good place to hopefully have them ready for Keeneland in the spring. So uh, we have some of those and we have some that we gave a little bit of time at the end of the fall that are starting back and uh, they're starting to have their first works back now and uh, we'll either get a race in them at the end of Tampa or they'll be ready for Keeneland in the spring. So one of those uh, horses I, I'm assuming is uh, the aforementioned Bees and Honey. First of all, congratulations on that graded stakes win that's been about three months ago, uh, but let's talk about her for a bit. Uh, uh, this filly, she showed some promise at Ellis Park. I even I picked up on her uh, early on. She she kind of looked like a grinder early on, but uh, she she'd go on and break her maiden at Keeneland in October, and that kind of launched her into a to a new world. Uh, what tell us about uh, what you saw early with bees and honey? Uh, early, I mean, she's always big, nice, good looking filly. Um, she doesn't do anything really to wow you in the mornings so uh she's just kind of steady and uh we ran her the first time we liked her just because she's got a nice nice way of going but she had never done anything flashy in the mornings and we were just kind of running her to get her started and see what see what happened and uh thought she ran really well she's a little bit out sprinted early and a little bit green and she kind of got on track late and uh finished up well and galloped out well and uh gave us a pretty good inkling that you know she might have a little bit of a future and we ran her back there going a mile i think and she kind of had the rail and she's just always a little bit green and spotty in her races and she was kind of the same way that day she kind of in and out of the bridle and then uh looked like she might get nothing and then they kind of got her out in the clear and she came running to finish second and got her back to keeneland and decided to try her in blinkers and uh knowing that all along kind of that we probably eventually we're gonna have to put them on her and uh she worked well in them. We ran her, and she ran well, and uh, she just kind of went on from there and just kind of steadily got better every race that she's run. Talk about that race at the Aqueduct, the Cumley Stakes. I mean, it was, was that – did you – at the time, you think that was maybe pie-in-the-sky thinking to, to, to jump from that allowance race to uh, Aqueduct, or did you think she really had that in her? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't have told you that. I thought she was going to go and win the way that she did, but she was training really well. Uh, I thought her last race was – I thought it was a good race. I thought the winner's probably a pretty nice filly. And uh, she kind of had a little bit of the worst of it, kind of got shuffled back and kind of had to – didn't kind of get out till late for her. She she needs to be kind of in the clear because she doesn't have a big change of speed. She just kind of builds momentum and keeps going. And uh, She kind of got on track late there and galloped out really well and uh, gave a pretty good inkling that maybe she had that sort of ability. And just so happened – 
there wasn't a whole lot of other options out there for a three-year-old filly and uh, figured she'd like Aqueduct and she'd like the mile and eight. And we decided to give it a try. Is she at Tampa now? She's at Tampa. She's hopefully will have her first breeze back uh, on the 15th of February. First breeze. Okay. So probably maybe you thinking uh, uh, bringing her back at Keeneland in, in spring? Yeah, that's the plan. Hopefully maybe waiting for the book to come out, but it'd be nice if there was a two other than there. Uh, right off the bat at Keeneland. That's right. what we're hoping for. So her owner is Andrew Rosen. That's the same, th- those silks, that's the, they're real familiar. They, uh, they were carried in the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile by Chief's Crown. Uh, th- that's the same owner, right? Correct. Andrew Rosen. It is. I, th- I think that was his, more his parents, but, uh, okay. Yeah. Andrew and Gainesway, Mr. Rosen and Gainesway farm, they own her and, uh, okay. they're partners on, they're partners on a lot of horses. And, uh, okay. That's yeah. Well, it's good connections to have, right? <laughs> yeah, no, very fortunate to have a horse for him. I'm glad uh, it's worked out well with her. So, uh, Reeve, I found a video today on YouTube. It was the telecast of the 1989 Belmont Stakes. Yeah. Uh, immediately after Easy Goer had had captured the race, and uh, in the winter circle was uh, your mother, Mary Jane, and she was uh, cradling you in her arms. She was just eight years old, or excuse me, you were you were just eight days old at the time and and you were introduced to the world by jim mckay who was a legendary broadcaster of course but uh i remember this is back when i was just now getting into the sport for it's probably 87 88 but i remember that year i believe your dad mentioned something about if if easy goer won the belmont that he would name you after either the horse or the or the track or the race (laughs) did that ever uh Later on in life, did that ever pop up in your conversations uh, that uh, that was a serious consideration, or is it just a clever soundbite? I think it's just a clever soundbite. I, I haven't. That's the first I've actually heard of that, but uh, I haven't seen the clip you're talking about. But I have uh, I've heard that I've been told about the interview afterwards. But uh, I hadn't heard about the possibly being named after him, so I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. That was over 30 years ago. I I, I, I might have made that up, but I, I've seen like that's <laughs> that's true. But yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's probably true. I just hadn't heard about it. <laughs> so, uh, like I said in the intro, your your bloodlines are uh, are rich with uh, excellent horse people. Uh, your father uh, Shug is a legend, and, and your mother Mary Jane was an excellent horsewoman in her own right. I think did she take out a trainer's license somewhere along the line? Yeah, she did a little bit when we moved back to Kentucky, but uh, like she got easy goer through about through his two year old year, and then okay. she got far enough along that she was pregnant with me. That uh, and then David Carroll uh, was riding. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, and of course, your uncle uh, Charlie Lapresti is uh, the, was the trainer of the, the great Wise Dan, and your brother Chip works for Keeneland. Was there ever any doubt at any point during your life that you wouldn't be a trainer? Is there anything else that maybe caught your interest somewhere along the line? No, not really. Uh, once I quit growing, I mean, I wanted to play professional basketball, but that dream uh, was gone by about eight or nine. So after that, <laughs> it was uh, it was on to training horses. Right. So you trained for some of the most iconic names in the in the sport. I mean, we've already talked about Andrew Rosen, uh, of course, Claiborne Farm. Uh, the, the, Familiar silks of uh, Mark Stanley, the red silks. I think you've got temper. Is it temperament twist? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, her last race she got stepped on by another horse and uh, and uh, tore a leg up pretty good. And uh, luckily she was 
made made it and uh she actually just went to TaylorMade farm a day or two ago from the clinic okay uh, uh, but yeah and the horse stepped on her front leg and, and just uh got uh, just uh, it wasn't pretty but um she was luckily we were able to make it with her and uh so she'll be able to make it as a mother and That's then good. i have another horse for him uh, named hometown hero that hasn't run quite as well as i thought he would a time or two but he's doing well and i still have a little bit of hope for him so you know running for these uh these uh big names in the sport the gainsways and, and whatnot does that bring added pressure to win or you, you just take it all in stride Uh, just take it on stride. There's always, no matter who you're running a horse for, there's added pressure to win. Uh, right. So just take it in stride. Try to do the best you can with each horse. And if it works out, it works out. If it, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, nothing. Obviously, we're fortunate to be in that situation. Uh, appreciate having the horses. So better chance of getting a good one in those situations. So last year, you had. Uh two new assistants join your team. Um, Neil Howard, who won the, uh, the 1990 Preakness with Summer Squall. And he also trained uh, Horse of the Year Mineshaft. And I believe uh, Mike Bell uh, oh. helped, helped you with a, a string. Uh, Mike yeah, Bell. Uh, well, Neil, yeah, Neil was working for my dad. Um, but uh, Mike Bell, yeah, he was uh, helped me out big time. In the summer, uh, we had to send some horses to Turfway, and uh, probably definitely wouldn't have made it without him. So, uh, and uh, he's been kind of a family friend for a long time, and I always knew him enough, but I got to know him a lot better uh, this spring and summer. And, uh, he's a pretty enjoyable person yep. to be around. And Mike has been a longtime trainer in these parts. Now, I, he may be best known for uh, the time he worked for Frank Whiteley. Uh, I'm sure he's, he took care of uh, Ruffian and forgo back during the 70s but uh what what was it like to to have these uh gentlemen as part of your uh your stable what 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 did you take away from the from their years and years of wisdom yeah well like i said neil was working for my dad but uh he's always been a family friend so he's somebody i've talked to regularly for a long time but uh speaking of mike yeah there's not many people that know how to take care of a horse better than mike so um, no, it's always uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to him, uh, especially late afternoon after feeding and all that stuff. Just kind of hanging around. Now, I think he's wintering in o- whatever. But. Yeah, he's wintering in Ocala. Yeah, he's is he going to rejoin you, or or or, or just a one-time stint? I think it's, I think it was just one time. Just, he's kind of helped the house out, and uh, he had a horse, and he kind of needed a place to go with it too, so it worked out for best. And then he came yeah. back and he helped us at Keeneland in the fall. And, uh, whatever. I mean, if I haven't spoken to him in a couple of weeks, but I mean, if he comes back in the spring and he, and he wants to, that would be great. But, uh, I'll probably, probably talk here at some point soon. Okay. But yeah, he's got a place in Ocala and, uh, he goes, he goes down there for the winter. Okay. Alan, do you have any questions for Reed McGahee? Yeah, I got a couple here real quick. I'm going to touch back a little bit before we move forward about bees and honey. Uh, because I remember the horse very well at Keeneland. It did, it, did you not – that horse entered in a maiden claimer to break his maiden, right? Was it 50,000 maiden claimer? It was 75,000. 75,000. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
first off, was you was there's no danger of really losing a horse for that kind of price tag at Keeneland. Is, rarely were they going to get claimed for seventy five. Are they? Were you concerned about that? We were not really, to be honest. Uh, I mean, she. It's not that we didn't like her, but uh, you never really know. I mean, I, I, they've got the owners and they have a lot of horses, so we're mainly just trying to get a confidence booster. Her numbers didn't come back extremely fast in those first two races, and mm-hmm. the horses that won didn't come back and run that great. And uh, <clears throat> we didn't really feel too worried that somebody was going to jump in and take her for 75000 So well, there's just a good chance to hopefully win a race and get a good education in her. And, uh, and I think it worked out for the best. I don't. She probably never would have won the Conley if she didn't run in that race. I mean, if she goes and finishes second in the maiden race at Keeneland, then she's going to run back in the maiden race at Churchill. And even if she wins that, she's not going to run back in the Conley. So, uh, it worked out. Yeah. I don't think she would have won the Conley if she didn't run in that race. Yeah. That's kind of what I was leading to it was in the fact that it was, it was and the maiden win for people that it was a dominating win. I mean, she, she destroyed that field is, is at that point when she got that, that confidence breaker, did, did you think maybe we have some, because the horse followed up with a really nice, Second place finish at Churchill to a horse called Amendment 19, who that was a really tough, really tough allowance field. And then you go on to take the Cumley. Did you see something in that maiden win that think, okay, the lights went on, we've got bigger and better things with this racehorse? Yeah, I think so because we put the blinkers on her and it was going seven eighths and uh, or the Beard Course, and she just, uh, you know, she put herself in the race that day and she just kind of did everything right. Uh, whereas before she was just kind of in and out, in and out, and run for a little while and get lost for a little while and then her get her attention back and uh but when she ran that day she she was kind of on it from the beginning and uh put more of a full race together and even though the competition wasn't that great i, I think it uh i think it did a lot for her. it just kind of allowed her to kind of take the next step and when you won the comely is it comely or comely i'm sorry is it which one I is don't it know. I, I call it the comely and some people call it the comely i don't Whatever it is, it's a grade three, yeah, and yeah. you nabbed it. And it's your first graded stakes win. How did that feel? I mean, at that, that point, it's like, man, I've, I've arrived. Because it, I mean, it comes fairly quickly in your in your training career, and there's probably more to come with this horse, if not others. Uh, how did that feel uh, going up to Aqueduct and winning that race fairly easy? I mean, it was it Aqueduct? Yeah, Aqueduct. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was exciting. She broke well, and uh, she kind of put herself in the right spot and it looked like jose had a lot of horse the whole way around there and uh, he rode her perfect kept her out of trouble and she got into a rhythm and at that point she's kind of tough to run down because she doesn't ever i've never seen her get tired um so but uh it was i mean i, I enjoyed it it was also a little bit of a relief just almost a little bit of a reward just saying hey like you are some of the stuff you're doing is right <laughs> so, yeah uh redemption's redeeming right yeah, it takes a little bit of the pressure off your shoulders. Uh, there's another horse of yours that uh, I, I think Cece will agree with me on this one. Again, this is a Kentucky horse racing podcast. We pay a little more attention to the bluegrass and what goes on around here. And there's a horse you had last year. It's a son of Bernstein that won, I want to say, second time out at Turfway. Uh, going Went long second time. Was very impressive. Fort Moultrie. Yeah, and and I think the horse came back to run a big one this year, if I'm not mistaken, at Turfway. Can we expect more from Fort Moultrie? And it, or would you just hound that horse stretching out as it appeared? The way the horse ran that day, it really looked like he had a future. Yeah, no, that's, uh, 
yeah, we he always uh, there's nothing flashy about him, but he he trains well and he's uh, yeah, we always liked him. Um, I don't know what his ceiling is. He ran really well when he ran back the first time at Turfway, and uh, he just got beat to Tiesto and kind of had the didn't have the best trip. And then uh, I ran him back, and he was training really well. And he just uh, kind of got too far out of it. And uh, a horse of Billy Morris kind of got the trip and won off by like five or six. Mm. And uh, we got, I, I don't know why he ended up as far out of it as he did, but he came running. He ran his race. He just, uh, from where he was, he nobody could have won. And he had to circle the field and make a long run. And But he's training well now. And uh, there's a race back for him here at the end of the month and we'll shoot for that. But I, I, he's a horse that, I like because I, I think he'll run all day and uh, I, I think he'll want to run on the grass too. So maybe, hopefully, maybe this spring and summer we'll get get him going in some of those uh, mile mile and a half races. And oh, see how, is that we're thinking? What's that? And that's what we're thinking. Mile and a half on the turf at the ultimate goal with him. Yeah, I think now I think he'll run all day. He relaxes a lot better in his races now as he's gotten older and. Uh, I haven't seen anything to suggest that he won't run further, and I, I honestly I think it might be to his advantage. So, I, hopefully he's. We'll see as we go down the road, but uh, he's still got to get out of that two other than condition. Yeah, um, well, you know, CC touched a moment ago. You know, your again head is is Shug McGahey for those that don't know, obviously, and then your uncle's Charlie Lepresti. Uh, so you, there the bloodlines are there, but there were there other people outside your family that were a big uh, help to you growing up? I mean, outside of those two legends? Uh, yeah, I mean, a number of people. Um, I worked for Owen Hardy out of high school. Uh, oh, really? He, uh, so, and that was basically just walking hots and kind of doing whatever on the barn. But uh, that was all, I uh, learned a lot there. And I mean, there's been a family, friends. Uh, so my stepdad, he uh, he galloped one in colors and he broke yearlings on our farm and uh, he worked on the racetrack, worked for Charlie for a while and worked Wayne Lucas for a long time. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I've drawn from a lot of people inside my family and outside my family. I guess we should have a little full disclosure alert, mainly about my ignorance. Uh, number one, uh, this interview, CC arranged this interview with Reef McGahee, which we're really uh, blessed to have, unbeknownst to CC. I was working on getting Charlie Lepresti, and we're going to have Charlie Lepresti on next week. And as a complete moron that I am, up until uh, right before Reeve went on the air with us, I had forgotten that Charlie Lepresti is uh, Reeve McGahey's uncle. But as I was saying, uh, unbeknownst to myself, we booked both these guys, forgetting that they're family. So uh, it's kind of funny to me just the fact that I'm ignorant. But with the Charlie Lepresti angle in mind, you did work for Charlie for five years, as he was telling me today. Is this correct? Yeah. Yeah, around five years, basically from Wise Dan's four-year-old year to a year after he retired. So uh, which one of Wise Dan's, I mean, there's so many, uh, heroic wins, legendary wins. Would you, is there one that you have as the favorite that when you was around him? Uh, yeah, I think his second Breeders' Cup win was the most rewarding. Uh, the California me. one? Is that? Yeah, is that that they're one? both out in California there. But the second one when he beat, uh, I think he beat Zah approval that day. But uh, he's kind of he came he just gotten beat in the Shadwell Mile. Uh, it oh, when they moved it to the Poly Track and uh, it rained. It stormed as hard as it could rain and uh, they took it off the grass and even the Poly Track. There's standing water on the Poly Track and. 
I think uh, he's a pretty smart horse. He was always uh, he's a pretty aggressive horse to train, but whenever the track was wet, he always took care of himself and he wouldn't. Uh, he kind of just he'd do enough, but he never he didn't train as aggressively. And uh, I think just in that race, I think it was Silver Max. He got loose on the lead, and yes, I think Johnny kind of took care of him too, just because the race track was the way it was. And I don't think he tried to beat him up to to win. And uh, so that going into the race, you know. As rightfully so, a lot of people are saying that he maybe lost a step, but uh, I don't think any of us felt that way. So to see him, and even in the race, he kind of missed the break a little bit and lost position. And uh, Lascano rode him that day, and he rode him perfect. He didn't panic and just kind of left him alone. And uh, he got his feet underneath of him, and, and he ended up winning uh, fairly comfortably. But uh, especially uh, to do that on that turf course, he kind of had to circle wide and close into it no that's not the easiest to do there and he, had to he run is down a, the road, so. yeah he's my favorite racehorse of all time and i'm sure a lot, and a lot of people echo that and uh but that said you've you, you've seen a lot of good ones in your day and you know i, I think cc mentioned a moment ago that you were eight days old when easy goer uh uh won the which race was that the, the belmont correct the eight days old so as the time went on at what point you know did you get old enough to realize all those big races your dad was winning for the fips at what point did you get old enough to realize what you were watching the, the, what what horses do you remember as a child that you saw your dad run and that that really resonated with you uh the first horse that i really got into when i was a kid was uh czarland because he ran in the derby and uh he was always he's always a promising two-year-old and uh so everybody always kind of had high hopes for him. And right. He probably maybe fell a little short of what everyone thought he might be. But uh, that's the first horse that I was, like, really, really into. I mean, when I was – Coronado's Quest was – I think I was nine when he was running. Uh, I remember all his races and all that, but uh, I don't know if I was ever there when he ran. Uh, so Zarlin was probably the first one that I really, like, kind of got it. And then from there on, you know, all of them. I mean, I – Remember, we, I mean, my parents get me t- get us TVG, so uh, when it first started coming around, so we could watch all the races. And uh, on the weekends, I just I'd start with I think Calder was the first track to start in the morning, so uh, basically watch DVG from noon to till the California tracks were done. It's like you got raised right, uh, obviously. Is there is there a favorite of your dad's that 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 that's, uh, you know there again there's so many. Uh, that that really sticks. I mean, I, I might be Orb, I would guess, maybe one of Kentucky Derby. But there's a there's he's had a lot of other good ones. Is there any particular yeah, I mean, uh, personal favorites? Yeah, a personal favorite, just because that's who I worked with would probably be Performer. Uh, oh, really? And then uh, obviously Code of Honor too. He gave just he gave about a half a second feel of winning the Kentucky Derby. So that uh, yes, that. And but yeah, those two and they'll probably be my tops just because i worked around them every day yeah uh, there's there are a lot uh off the top of my head i can't i can think of inside information pleasant home we, we could go on and on but uh pleasant home was good i, I cashed a good a ticket on her so that, that hey good. tell him cc so did i yeah, right so yeah he alan called pleasant home three weeks out before the breeders cup distaff i was there oh, yeah. she, she ran she, second, uh, third in the spinster she was second alan, in the spinster she made a lot of, that was in keeneland you couldn't catch anybody at keeneland and uh, yeah. She was a dead closer and had to circle wide. And I think uh, Martin, Marty Wilson might have won it with one of Mr. Cherry's horses. And she ran good. She just got kind of beat by the racetrack. And uh, 
she was, well, I mean, I was too young to know whether she was or she wasn't, but uh, I think she's training well going in the race. And what was she like, 25 to one or something like that? So. 30 to one. <laughs> 30 to one. So I, I, I'm better pretty hard across the board for me at that time. So that was a, that was a good day. The same here. It was a deal where like uh, that horse is going to eat up that mile and an eighth one turn at Belmont. I believe it was at Belmont, right? But now yeah. you're the, yeah, I was like, that horse is, uh, yeah, the, the, you couldn't beat the horse at the way the, the track was playing at Keeneland that day. He ran the perfect race. And so yeah. that's, you know, next time you see your dad, tell him I said thanks about Pleasant Home. A few others too, but that's when it rings a bell. Yeah. I'll yeah, toss it back to you real quick, CC. Yeah, Reeve, I've just got one more question for you. I want to talk about a horse that uh, you've got entered uh, this week at Turfway, uh, a colt named Cause a Stir in a maiden claimer. I just think it's interesting. Just it kind of ties everything together for for what we're doing. Uh, the the riders, Farron Peterson, who we've had on the show a few weeks ago, and we really good. Whole, yeah, we think a lot of her. First of all, uh, what's your feelings on uh, Farron, uh, and, and why did you put her on on this particular horse? Uh, Farron, I've known for a little while. Um, she, just some mutual friends and. Uh, I watched her ride at Monmouth. I think she rides a smart race every time. and uh, I've got plenty of confidence in her. Um, so she just, uh, honest, I need, at the time, I, she'd come and she'd work some horses, and I needed somebody to put her on, and he was coming up, and I thought she'd suit him. And, uh, she rode him well, and he ran, and he just got beat. And, but the race for a maiden 30, we've entered him about 100 times since that race, trying to get him in. Uh and uh, for a maiden 30, that race came up about as tough of a maiden 30 at Turfway can come up. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, I've also noticed this horse, though. I, I know this pedigree, the, the Sire's Creative Cause, but the dam is a fleeting Lisa. And a fleeting Lisa is, I have had it written down here. She is. This is Wise Dan. Is, a fleeting Lisa is a half sister by Fleet Alex to Wise Dan, successful Dan. Enchanting Lisa, all those great stakes winners that uh, are stakes horses that uh, Charlie Lepresti trained. I thought that's pretty interesting. Uh, hmm. How did this? Uh, how did this horse come your way? Uh, so the the guy that owns her is uh, Robert Evans, who would be the son of Bart Evans, um, that trained and owned Wasted Tears. And uh, he and Charlie are friends. And uh, when Charlie decided to stop training, then uh, he just kind of ended up with us. So does Mr. Evans own the mare, a fleeting Lisa? No, I can't remember who owns the mare. Uh, okay. He doesn't. He bought him out of the sale for not very you. much money. And uh, I think actually she might have sold a yearling this past year for a good, like two or 300. I can't remember, but uh, she was the last full out of that mare. And uh, she's nice, but she, she kind of looked like the last full, you know, she, uh, but never made it to the races and, Hopefully she'll produce something. Yeah, well, yeah. Wise Dan seemingly uh, came out of nowhere. That that pedigree uh, is not not your uh, typical summer sales quality. So, but he he turned out just all right. So uh, yeah. Ho- hopefully the uh, yeah maybe we can get something out of cause a stir. So you think that race came up fairly tough though? Um, yeah, it's a pretty good bunch for thirty. Uh, yeah. Probably tougher than the last one he ran in. But, uh, yeah. He's doing well, so we'll see what happens. All right. Hey, CC, can I ask him something again real quick? Sure. Uh, well, number one, uh, he was mentioned Farron Peterson. We not only think very highly of Farron Peterson, we're scared of her. 
So we give her compliments all the time. She could she could whoop us. She that woman is in incredible shape. Have you seen her workout videos, Reeve? I haven't seen her workout videos, but I, I don't plan on picking on picking any fights with her. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't if I were you. Uh, uh, and secondly, you know, to keep to keep this a little more lighthearted and like some non-horse racing questions. Earlier in the in the interview, you said that you wanted to be a basketball player when you were younger, and that you know you didn't get no you know didn't grow into that. Were you a pretty good basketball player? No, brag on yourself now. I huh? was incredibly incredibly average. Um, the only thing I had going for me is I play hard. Uh, you play hard. Got okay, a jump shot. Uh, uh, average. It, I might make five in a row and then miss fifteen in a row. So. Yeah, but, well, that's kind of way horse racing is a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And did you grow up in Kentucky or did you grow up in New York? I grew up in Lexington. Yeah, we moved okay. back here when I was three, uh, and I grew up here. Going. So you're a native Kentucky, and I'm glad I got that cleared up. So you think like the rest of us. I mean, do you drink bourbon? Do you watch Kentucky basketball? I mean, what, what are how how native a Kentuckian would you say you are? Uh, I think I'm, the only thing I don't really do, I don't drink a lot. I drink, I used when I was in school and stuff like that. I drink bourbon. I don't really drink a whole lot anymore. But uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty uh, Kentucky through and through. I grew up going to all the basketball and football games, and still try to go to as many as I can whenever we can. We, have season tickets in our family so uh really? pretty much watch every game um, if I, whether it has to be on my phone or at home or whatever but uh yeah no pretty big kentucky fans well we should have touched on this first cc we, we should went this route first with reeve because i am cc is uh cc as well but i am too and i'm actually a bigger football fan i mean i don't get me wrong i love basketball too i'm i'm 52 i've seen a lot of great teams but uh this year's team's pretty good in basketball isn't it yeah, they're pretty exciting. They're very unselfish, and uh, they're fun to watch. I think they've got as good a shot as anybody. And I probably know the answer already. Who's your favorite player on this year's team? Uh, I'm a big Ty Ty Washington fan. I, I think he's, uh, I think he's pretty good. As good a freshman as uh, you can ask for. Yeah, he plays I think like as he's 28, not like he's 18. Yeah, I think as the season goes on, we're going to see his uh, player of the year stock maybe start to go up. His, uh, his, he's going to he's going to be right there with Oscar Shibway. But I've digressed enough into the wonderful world of Kentucky athletics, so I'll throw it back to CC real quick. One last question. I, I think the one barn over from your uh, stable at uh, Keeneland is uh, a past guest of ours, Sarah Hamilton. What's what's uh what's it like to be next to Sarah Hamilton? Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's good. I mean, I've I've known Sarah for uh, five years or so, and we've always been friends. So, no, it's nice having her over there. Uh, and during the summers and everything, Rusty's in that barn. So, Rusty's kind of a family friend and a little bit of a mentor for me too. Uh, so, uh, I like where we're at. It's a good mix. Sounds like it sounds like a lot yeah. of fun to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, Sarah, yeah, Sarah was a great interview, and and and. You are too. So we're we're very pleased to have you on. We're 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 grateful that you uh, decided to share some time with us this evening. And uh, Reed, we we wish you the best of luck. We'll be rooting for cause of stir uh, this week at Turfway, and then uh, when Bees and Honey returns to the races, we'll have an eye on her. Good. Well, I appreciate. It. I'll be be excited for spring to roll around. Uh, boy, I hear that. More yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about done with uh, waking up to 15 degrees. Yep, brother, you got that right. That's the bad thing about Kentucky, and I'm sick of it myself, too. And I'm sure if you race at Turfway, it'd be nice to get be able to uh, get these races in, right? Get your horses running. Yeah, no, it, it'd be nice. Uh, but 
I don't know. For me, winter times hopefully just survive into the spring. Uh, try to get done what we get done and get them ready for for April. I'm sure you got a lot of wins coming, Pratt Val. Uh, All so right, well, appreciate having me on. Oh, no All problem. Right. Reeve will let you go, and like I said, congratulations on the on the big Greatest Stakes win, and uh, we'll uh, keep an eye on you in the future. Thank you for All joining right. us. Thank you. Okay, that was Reeve McGahey, the son of a legend. And the nephew of another legend, so it, it's uh, that's an incredible story. Uh, uh, he seemed like a, a really nice young man. We wish the best mm-hmm. to Mr. McGahee going forward. Definitely, definitely. And looking forward to talking to his uncle, the legendary Charlie Presley. Hopefully next week, yep. if things yep. do pan out, they sh- they should. Yep, you never know, but uh, that, that's the plan as of uh, Monday night. So uh, before we uh, call it quits for for this particular podcast. Uh, of course, the most important news uh, going forward this week is the uh, the well, it's probably the most important game in the history of mankind, in my <laughs> opinion, as the uh, the 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 David uh, Cincinnati Bengals plays Goliath, the Los Angeles Rams. I I, I can think of uh, no better ending that uh, than the of the Bengals coming out of uh, probably a four or five touchdown win. I think that's probably what's the the most likely outcome. Uh, what say you? You know, I I, I do feel like um, the Bengals are getting a little bit of a short uh, short shrift in the in the odds department. Again, I don't bet on football because I, I I I'm not betting on football does not thrill me like it does a lot of people because I like to watch for the enjoyment of the game, and I don't want the fact that I have a couple dollars here swaying me it's like oh my team needs to win by 17 points or my team needs to kick this field goal. So, but that said. I, isn't the spread like four and a half, four, four and a half, the Rams, correct? Yeah, favored. right. Rams are four-point yeah. favorites. I think it's, a, you know, I, I understand it's in L.A., but, of course, home team doesn't really matter. Maybe they feel like all the masks in the crowd are going to throw the Bengals off. I, I don't know. Uh, but I thought the Bengals have played very well defensively throughout these playoffs. Uh, Joe, Joe Burrow's a playmaker. Uh, again, I mean, L.A. is loaded with playmakers. Like Cooper Cup is one hell of a ball player. Uh, but I mean, I feel like it's a hell of a game and I think I've got this feeling I've seen Joe Burrow in college. I know what he's capable of. I know how resilient he is. Uh, Matthew Safford's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I, it just feels like there's a certain amount of destiny to Joe Burrow and company. So I'm going to say 27, 24 Cincinnati. You, I, I, Evan McPherson's got the game on the line. Why not? Well, I've been a Bengals fan all of my adult life. And even back to, to when I was a child or a teenager. Back in the 90s, late 80s, when the, the Bengals made the Super Bowl, I've had to survive or suffer through the the terrible yes. draft picks in the 90s with the Kajana Carter and Big Daddy Wilkinson, and and then we had to su- to suffer through uh, Carson Palmer getting injured, yeah, uh, in the yeah. first game of the playoffs versus the Steelers, and then we had to suffer through that that awful uh, fumble. I can't remember who it was now that fumbled the ball and against the Steelers again in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I remember that. That was a bad night for me. I, I coached uh, girls basketball back uh, th- that night. We had a doubleheader. We had to play two games back-to-back. I mean, that meant I was coaching for two and a half hours. And the only thing I was looking forward to was seeing this game. And we lost both of the games we played in overtime. Both of them were in overtime. Lost both games. Got back to the house, and I caught the fourth quarter. And the Bengals were going to go on to win. They had the ball ready to run the clock out, as I, as I recall. And 
the running back made one extra effort and fumbled the ball. Yeah, see it all the time. And the Steelers got it back. And then two personal fouls later, obviously, <laughs> two personal fouls later, uh, 30 yards added on, the Steelers got in the field goal range in no time, and they won the game. And then the, the Bengals have been crap ever since until this year. And uh, Joe Burrow, who is a, is a phenomenal person I've ever seen in this sport, and then you've got Jamar Chase, one of the one of the best young receivers mm-hmm. that you'll ever see. I I believe in these guys, so I think uh, I think the Bengals pull off an upset. I'm going in uh, probably something like 27, 24, and Which a late. That's exactly what I just said. Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go back to what I said originally. Then uh, 35 to seven Bengals. That sounds better. You know, and actually, I'll be going out to watch this game. And uh, I think I mentioned this. I haven't had a beer. I haven't had any alcohol all year. I've been, I've been sticking my resolution. I've had no pizza, no red meat, uh, because I'm what the kids call a fat bastard. And uh, so I've been trying to work on that. But I think uh, I may have a one or two beers and treat myself uh, because this is a special occasion. And hopefully the second one's in your honor as we raise the glass to them winning this game. It's time for they've got to move President's Day to the day after Super Bowl to give you know the people to get that day off to give them you know a little uh, a break you know or what a chance to recover. It's time. Yeah. When I was younger, when I was younger, I might I might need it, but I only have a beer too when I go out on these days or whatever. Yeah. Not everybody. Yeah. Not everybody does it that way though. That's true. Yeah. That's that's a good point. <laughs> all right. So that's all. Uh, well, that's all I have for episode number 91 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. Uh, any parting thoughts? Anything else on your mind before we? No, I really appreciated uh, Reeve McGahee stopping by. He's, uh, this, yeah, I said that right, Reeve McGahee. Uh, really, not, really good guy. Got a great future ahead of him. We all know that. And uh, looking forward to seeing him in the winter circle and appreciate him stopping by. All right. That's all for now. Uh, on behalf of Brandon Jaggers, wherever you are, Alan Schneider, this is CC Broadus, reminding you the gambling money ain't got no home. Good night.